Welcome to the Live Well podcast hosted by the Healthy Campus team of Wellness Services. My name is Liv Taylor and my pronouns are she, her. I'm a fourth year general science student here at MRU and I'm also a senior lead peer health educator with the Healthy Campus team. This series will cover a range of topics and today we are focused on helping someone in distress. Before we get started, I wanted to give a content advisory since we will be discussing distressing situations and dysfunctional coping mechanisms. These include topics regarding self-inflicted violence, also known as self-harm, intimate partner violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and traumatic events that can cause distress in people's lives. We wanted to start with this advisory so that you, our audience, have all the information you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. I also wanted to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 7 land and we're excited that you guys are here with us today. We intend this series to be conversation-based, informal, and all about the experiences and insights of our Mount Royal community. I am joined today by Janet Miller and Jesse Bach to discuss how to help a friend in distress and how we can take care of ourselves when we do. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So Jesse, can you start by telling us your pronouns and what program and year you're in? So my pronouns are she, her. I'm a fourth-year journalism student, and I'm also the producer for the Live Well podcast. Thank you so much. And Janet, can you tell us your pronouns and explain how you work with distress tolerance? Sure. My, my name is Dr. Janet Miller. I'm a psychologist. I work in the Counseling Center here at Mount Royal. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am delighted to be here to talk about this topic. It's about how to take care of ourselves while we're helping other people. It's about making space for recognizing when people are in distress and understanding how we can support them while also taking care of ourselves, giving back to our community. And I'm with two fantastic humans to share this space with. So I'm delighted to be here, Liv. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we can get into this right away. And I first off kind of wanted to set the stage for our podcast today by discussing some of the NCHA statistics that we have. So one of the first ones is one in four students have been in an intimate relationship that was emotionally, physically, or sexually abusive, as well as 3.5% of students identify as being in recovery from alcohol or other drugs. And less than half of students reported feeling happy every day or almost every day. And then many students also say that the areas that are causing them moderate to high distress are 90% for academics and 84% for finances. So with that being said, there's obviously many factors that can disrupt our lives and cause significant stress for us. But one of the most difficult to navigate is when someone we really care about is going through a difficult time. So, Jesse, I wanted to start off by asking you how, in your own experience, you've dealt with this situation. If you've had a friend that's in distress or if you've been the friend that's in distress, can you give me an example of kind of what that situation looks like for you? I find that once you establish yourself in a friend group as kind of stable or giving good advice, people tend to come to you more. And sometimes that can be a blessing and a curse within itself. And when you do that, you really have to be able to understand what you're capable of and what you can actually give to others. And when I've had friends come to me in distress, sometimes they just need support. Sometimes they need someone to listen to them. And then other times, it's almost as if they want you to solve their problems for them. And so you need to be able to differentiate the two and give them what they need 
without taking the ability for them to learn skills to deal with these problems away from them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I like how you really said about how sometimes it people come to you for different reasons. Sometimes they just need a sounding board, but sometimes they're looking for more, like you said, maybe to solve their problems for them. And so, Janet, I know that with your wealth of experience, I'm sure you have seen situations where maybe people They don't know how to necessarily draw that boundary or even recognize if someone is asking too much of them. So how, as an individual, can we know of our own mental state, know if we're ready to take on not necessarily the burden, but the responsibility of helping someone through a difficult time? Yeah, okay, well, great questions. I'm not sure I'm the expert in all things helping, but because we're all humans, right? We've got our own people, our own communities. Jesse, I love that you're part of a group where people reach out for help. So I think that's just a foundation of... Of healthy communities is to be in a place where we see each other, we see when we're struggling, I feel safe enough to come and talk about the problems I'm having. I also might be in a place of resilience to have resources to share with the people I love and care about. And that line, Jess, you're saying about sort of doing for people or helping people to support themselves, like I guess we negotiate that with each conversation, don't we? It's how incapacitated someone might be. They might need more direct assistance, more guidance for someone who is in distress and needs a sounding board who is generally full of resilience and grit and all that wonderful coping wonderfulness of life, maybe it is more of holding space and encouraging them and believing in them when they they may not believe in themselves or might not see the way or it's temporary. And and then other times it's a blend, isn't it? We're doing a little bit of practical help and emotional support with encouragement and patience. Sometimes we don't need someone to fix our problems. We just need someone to say, I see there's a problem there. It's not just you. And this is part of living, part of life. Other times we need more access to resources. I completely agree. And I really like how you said that it is kind of a case by case basis with your friends, you know, negotiating those boundaries, renegotiating those boundaries. But if you do find yourself in a situation where emotionally you cannot even be a sounding board for a friend or you cannot help them where they are at, how do you have that difficult conversation? How, what is something we can kind of tell our listeners here, a good way to get started with that conversation? Because that can be very hurtful if you're on the other end to hear that. If you're needing someone and all of a sudden this person's just like, I can't deal with you right now. <laughs> like yeah. you, you don't want to hear that and you don't want to say that. So what are some, what are some ways we can kind of make that more gentle? Okay, well, beautiful. So how do we make that more gentle rather than just like, yeah, I can't deal with you. Go talk to someone else. So we first of all want to recognize when we are in a place where our our boundaries are, I don't know, maybe we just need stronger boundaries to say, I really just need to take care of myself, my exams, my life, my finances, my emotional health, whatever that is, that I want to give myself permission to take care of myself because that's going to be more supportive in the long run to all the people in my community or family and circles. I think it's also normalizing when someone comes to you for help when you're, you can say, I'm also in a place where I'm incapacitated right now or at limited capabilities. Maybe there's also something really validating in that. Like I'm with you. I'm also in a place where I'm really struggling. Maybe we both need to go and get some resources from these other opportunities. So rather than just saying like, I can't help you and putting my hands up and saying, nope, maybe it's saying we both actually need more help. Where else can we go? Who else can we call on? What other resources do we have? So then it's not an abandonment exactly. It's more of a doing together and recognizing that I'm in this too. It's not just about the person I'm helping, but it has to also be about me. Of course it does, that we don't want anyone to be burnt out helping someone else. And then there's also emergency situations where you throw all that out the window and you do what you can to support people because when shit hits the fan, it's just the way it is. And then we take care of ourselves later. Yeah, 100%. I really like that validation part that you're talking about. And I know that in my own 
personal situations when I've been really struggling mentally or emotionally and my friends, like even I feel like this past month has been hard for almost every person I know. Mm -hmm. And really just saying to the other person, like, I'm here with you. I am in the same place and I may not be able to give you everything that you need right now, but you're not alone. And so with that being said, Jesse, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to help a friend, you feel like you're out of your own depth there? And kind of how did you handle that? What did you do in that situation? Definitely. And I think all of these things we can say, they also get more complicated the more interwoven and interconnected your relationships with the person are. Like if you're a friend and family or if you're a friend and in a relationship, these things just naturally add layers to the situation. And I've been in a situation where I was with a friend and then we started dating at one point and they ended up having a serious addiction and a part of that was they would have shame and guilt, but they were also living almost two separate lives where they would steal from me at the same time. So I would try and help them and I'd offer to go to NA, but sometimes people can't face their own issues and they can't admit things and they can't come to that point and at a certain point, you have to say, hey, I'm here to support you, but I have to do that from a distance. I can't be as involved in your life if you're not going to take control of it as well. And when you're ready to take control, I am here. If you need me, I am here. If there's a real situation, like you said, a real emergency, I will support you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't care about you. I just got to put on my own oxygen mask first. I really like that analogy. That is such a good analogy with the plane. You know, you do have to put on your own oxygen mask first because you can't help anybody else if you are suffering or not doing well yourself. And so I know you said that you kind of had that conversation or you, you approached that conversation. And how did your friend receive it? The problem with confronting someone about problems they're not ready to face is they can go completely into denial and they can say, you know, nothing's wrong with me. You're overreacting. I'm not doing anything. Even if you have evidence to the contrary, you're like, these things are going on in your life and you're hurting people around you. What happened in my situation is they tried. They really tried to be the person they wanted to be and they were failing themselves and failing themselves caused relapse and it caused emotional damage and like a loss of confidence. And it wasn't until later where they were just at a point where they were relapsing regularly that they stopped working on themselves. And that's when I distanced myself. Yeah. I feel like obviously that's the most responsible thing you can do in that situation. It is unfortunate when they don't necessarily know that they need help. And not that we're in a position to decide that for other people, but when it's clear that someone is struggling emotionally or struggling mentally and they haven't reached out for help, what do you even do in that situation? Or if you offer your help and then they retaliate or they get defensive and it's now clear that your help is not wanted, what do you do? And that's actually a question I kind of want to direct to you, Janet. What is the best or most clear thing to do for their mental health and your mental health? Oh, well, Jesse, I'm just moved by that story and like honored just how hard that is. You can hear the, the heart in your, your voice as you speak of that and remember that situation. And I don't think we come to it quickly. I think it's, a, it's almost like a slow, 
I want to say it was slow burn. I'm not sure if that's the right metaphor, but you circled that airport several times saying, how much can I do to help this person that I care about, that I love, that I respect, that I am cheering for when addictions are present? Because they do blind you. They do numb you from seeing your impact on other people. They rob us of a, a certain amount of self-awareness and capability. I think they're often the result of not realizing how capable we are. And addictions are, there's a trap in addictions that is so complicated. And that's why we see support groups. We you mentioned NA, there's AA, there's Al-Anon for family members and, and friends of those who are caught up in that addiction cycle. There's lots of languaging around enabling behavior that maybe by helping I'm keeping someone stuck. I'm not sure if, if uh, there's lots of blame language in that too. I think we understand that addictions are often about what's happened to us, not what's wrong with that person, but wow, what's happened to that person that they're in this place of self-medication or in this trap of physical and psychological, physiological addiction. So back to your question about how do we get there? I think we get there slowly and honestly. I think we get there by talking about the pain that we're experiencing. I think we get there by having some boundaries about what I won't sacrifice for my health to help somebody else. I think that actually helps people people to see that their health is also valuable. I think there's something very loving, Jesse, and what you said about, like, I love you so much, I can't stand by this. Like, I'm, I'm not helping by being here and sort of killing myself is not helping me to help you. And, and I guess we hope with that rock bottom by losing people and connections and functionality that I come to an awareness that my life has value and that I've got to get my act together and get more support and I can't do this alone and it's a day-by-day process. And we know that many students across our campus face this. And you might not have insight into how damaging your behavior is or your the traps that we get into unless you've got really wonderful friends like Jesse's just demonstrated to say, I love you so much. I see what's happening to you and I care about it. And there's another way with lots of supports and resources. I have lots of hope that that kind of help will support people to have a better life. But it's hard to learn how to cope with that kind of pain for sure. Absolutely. I think that aspect that you touched on about boundaries, about knowing what is my boundary before you really enter into any relationship or friendship, you should know yourself intimately. Like you should know your boundaries. Like what will I not sacrifice for this relationship ultimately, especially emotionally? And I know that Jesse, you had kind of said like there was that point where you reached where you noticed they were not making an effort to try to help themselves. And that's when you said, this is my boundary. Like I am stepping away from from this, but that's hard. That's not it easy is hard. to know when that boundary is. It's and and how do you even dredge that up? Like how do you flesh that out if even if you're not in the situation? For people that are listening right now, for both of you honestly, when when do you create those boundaries? How do you know that about yourself? Is it only when you're in the situation? Well, experience is a big teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes you don't know how far you'll go or not far you'll go until you're in in that situation and, and you're faced with that dilemma. I think it, for me, it's been a process of also honoring that my wellness is important and honoring that I'm not helping other people by sacrificing my well-being. So I, th- I think that's a big piece of it, that we develop that together in relationship. And maybe through experience, we learn what feels good and what doesn't feel good, what supports my vitality and my vibrancy and what robs me of that. And I think over time, we become more protective of that too. It comes to a point of, does this person respect me? And do they 
want to offer me dignity or are they trying to take it away? I don't want to sound like addiction is a moral problem or a lack of character. Like there are so many factors that go into it. And part of that is just they've been through their own stuff a lot of the time. They've been through hard stuff. Part of like being a friend is you want to help that, especially if it's similar to stuff you've been through and you relate and you feel a connection with that. But it comes to a point of when am I inflicting that kind of pain on others? And I think you have to be objective to look at yourself and realize maybe I wouldn't do that. And so I can't stand for someone to do it to me. I, I really appreciate your your vulnerability in sharing this because it is a difficult story. You know, it doesn't necessarily have the happiest of endings, right? Having to step away from a friendship. And it does sound like the way in, in which you approached helping your friend was very intuitive. And I think that that does come from a lot of experience, whether that's with adversity in your own life or your other friendships. But I know for for a lot of people, that instinct isn't so intuitive to, to help people or to frame conversations in that way. I know a lot of the times if I've had maybe an issue with a friend or I see something that I may be concerned about, I've said something and they react totally different than I was expecting. And just for an, an example, early in, in university, I had a friend who had had some emotional trauma around relationships in her life. And after getting out of a very difficult relationship, she started dating someone. And I think like two months later, she was like, I'm going to move in. I'm going to quit my job. And I remember thinking like, is like, is something else going on here? I was extremely concerned because I loved her. She was my friend. And obviously I thought maybe it was possible that she would regret these decisions she was making. And so I I said that to her. I said, you know, I think I'm kind of concerned about these decisions you're making. And I feel like maybe it isn't reflective of, of what you really want. And she did not take that very well, to say the least. She pretty much said that I like was unsupportive, that I was a bad friend. And obviously that was very hurtful for me, but it really just represents to me that just because your intentions are good does not mean that they will be received well. So Janet, I was actually wondering, is there anything when we approach these difficult conversations, what are some ways like the actual words that we use? What are some ways that we can kind of soften the conversation? How would you approach that? Like in my situation, how would you say that to a friend to try to help them without upsetting them? Oh my gosh. Well, complicated and so important, but it's so true that we can, you talk to people get defensive or feel hurt or shut down or not trusted. Okay, so what are some words? What would I, might I say? I might say something like, I love you. I'm worried about you. Like if you were going too fast or if you were, I don't know, rushing into something, would it be okay if I shared with you that I'm, I'm worried? I just want you to be safe. I want you to like have your plans organized for you. Also, I'm here if something goes sideways. Maybe there's a, I'm not judging you. I am just trying to be part of your network of support. I think that's part of it. It could be, what would you say to me if I was in that same situation? Maybe there's putting it in context. So I think we do it slowly and with love. And then also we check some of our own biases. Like sometimes people do fall in love and great things happen and they move quickly and, and it lasts a long time and they're fulfilled. That might be very different than my own story. So I might also say, you know what, I'm a little more conservative in this way or a little more hesitant in this way. So I don't mean to be judgmental. I just mean to be supportive. And if if you needed more resources or information or sounding board, I would be here for you no matter what. And then also there's a certain amount of, I trust you to make your own decisions and I'll catch you when things go sideways, if they go sideways. And and if they don't, I'll be part of your cheering squad too. Totally. I really, that part where you said like almost asking the other person if they're in the right space to receive advice from you or if they even want any advice, you know, 
we're all adults. Like sometimes we don't want to hear someone else's opinion about the decision that we're making and that is totally okay. I think after you said that, kind of looking back on it, what I would have changed is going to her and saying, hey, do you mind if I offer you advice in this situation? Because that allows them to maintain the control in the situation, you know? Like you're not just offering your unsolicited advice. And I know, Jesse, kind of you said that they, your friend didn't really receive it very well because they completely disagreed with what, what you were saying or your analysis of the situation. Did you ask them in that situation if they wanted to hear your opinion? Um, I didn't, actually. It was an intimate partnership, and I had found out, you know, ways that they were actively causing harm to myself and those around me. Like I said, stealing, manipulating friends, lying, things like that. And I don't think asking them if they were ready to hear advice would have helped in that situation. But I think in yours, it does. You want to give people control. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And a whole other point is you don't want to echo what their parents might sound like because people sometimes butt heads right up against anything that makes them feel that they're not capable of handling the situation. I really like what Janet said about just trust people to make their own decisions and maybe have a moment with them where you're like, hey, I want you to know I trust you and I respect you, but my concern is that you've created an idealized version of what you want to happen and you have so much hope and love and belief in that that you're letting it cloud what might actually be happening. And I don't want to tell you what to do or what to think, but just maybe consider it. Hmm. And that way it's not giving advice, is it? It's sharing appreciation, concern, hope. It's a bit of a checkpoint, but that's different than let me tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that kind of that checkpoint mentality where it really is about, you know, first of all, making sure that if you want to offer your advice, make sure that someone's in a place to receive your advice or listen to your opinion. And not only that, but really reassuring them that you believe in them, that you try trust them to make their own decisions and that they are an adult and regardless of what decision they make, you're here. You're going to support them no matter what. But of course, there are limits to everything. If someone is in active distress, if they are making decisions that could harm themselves or harm others, maybe saying something like, I trust you, isn't necessarily the best approach to that either. So obviously we did want to kind of discuss the actual topic of distress and what happens if a friend is in distress. And so Jana, I did want to ask you for people in that situation, whether they're in distress or they're observing someone who's in distress, what resources do we have here at MRU that can help them? Oh, we have so many resources, as you would at all universities. We, we are well equipped to support people in crisis. So we have our, obviously, student counseling center where I work over in wellness services. We offer free student counseling to any member of our community on a drop-in basis in a crisis. We've got walk-in Monday to Friday and regular appointments with licensed professionals, psychologists, and social workers. We also have in our healthy campus team, we've got peer support. So if going to a peer that's trained in some mental health resource management might be better. It might be a first sounding board just to find out sort of what else is on campus. We have health services where we have mental health nurses, doctors, we have a psychiatrist. We have a early support program on campus where these amazing trained lovely humans are there to support students early on in a crisis to say what other kinds of 
changes can I make in my context, my situation? What other resources can I add in? What services are available? Where can I get that extra bolstering of support? For someone who might have had a sexual assault or a, a sexual violence crisis, uh, who has experienced a crime along that lines, we have a fantastic office on campus um, headed up by Carrie Ionson, and she works in our sexual violence, harassment. Oh my gosh, she's got a fancy title. I forget the rest of it. Sorry, Carrie. Uh, working with intimate partner violence and sexual violence crimes. And she does education, but also does a lot of outreach and support and has been a fabulous resource to many, many students on our campus. So I think of those as an array of resources, but any one of them would help you to connect to other resources, finances, social resources, community resources, the Aniscom Center, the Pride Center. We have so many good communities on campus to draw from. You don't need to be alone in what you're facing, no matter how messy it is. Exactly. That's one of the things I honestly love about MRU is there really is no limit to the support that they're ready to offer you. And and for those of you listening, if you or someone you know is in distress, you're not alone, just like Janet said. And there's so many resources on campus and they're here for you to support you. And, and there's nothing to be concerned of there. So And we want to be here for each other. It's what makes exactly. this community so healthy. Exactly. And, and with that, kind of going to wrap things up here, I wanted to ask both of you for our listeners, Um, If you have any advice for our audience in regards to helping a friend or themselves when it comes to distress, like any last minute thoughts you kind of wanted to leave them with, we can start with you, Jesse, if you want. Yeah. When you're dealing with someone else and you have a lot going on, I think Janet kind of covered this at the beginning, but just relating to them and be like, you know, I'm drowning right now too, and I love you and I am here to hear you out, but I might not be the best person to help right now. And I don't want you to lose out on that opportunity because Mm. I'm not there. But at the same time, listen to them with open arms when you can. Put aside judgment when you can. And make them feel like they don't have to feel shame or guilt for bringing these problems up to you. And that can really make a difference in how willing someone is to approach something and find a solution to their problem. I love that. Oh, I love your language too, Jesse. You're so articulate. It's so true. I would expand on that just to say being in a community where we can see each other, notice each other, checking in with one another. We can also do things together. We can go to the gym. We can sit down for a meal. We can go for a walk. Sometimes those forms of helping, I mean, we've talked a lot about conversation, but being with each other in life, spending quality time together makes a big difference for health and well-being too. And if you are concerned about someone, check in. You don't have to have the proper words all the time that your friend will feel the heart of it and take care of yourself along the way too. Exactly. Moral of the story, it is okay to just be there for your friends in whatever way you feel that you can be at the time. And and knowing the resources that are available on campus obviously is a wonderful tool to be able to refer people you know or even people you don't know. And hopefully this episode did help you with that. So again, a special thanks to Janet Miller and Jesse Bach for joining us today on our discussion about how to help a friend. You've been listening to the Live Well podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in. For resources about counseling or distress tolerance, feel free to check out the links in the episode bio, or you can call or text the Distress Center, which is a 24-hour crisis line, at 403-266-4357. The Live Well podcast is run by the Healthy Campus team at Mount Royal University, and you can find us online at livewell.buzzsprout.com. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you can get your podcasts. This series is produced by Jesse Bach with support from the Community Podcast Initiative. 
Thanks to artist Scott Holmes for our theme. The song is called Feeling Sunny. I'm your host, Liv Taylor, and thank you again for listening. Thank you.